I wanted to start by thanking my co-host for joining me this evening. You're welcome. In presenting the Purim podcast edition for this year. This year is an unusual Purim. And um, we're going to start by introducing the unusualness. Is that a word? No. There you go. That's a good place to start. Um, Of this year. This year it's COVID, obviously, and it's also Friday. And that presents significant and unique challenges that we're going to discuss in this first snippet. And we encourage you, after you're done with this, to continue to the other three sections of this podcast dedicated to three different parts of Purim challenges and opportunities. So let's start with this year. Speaking of last year, I listened to our podcast last year. We did a great job. (laughs) And uh, one thing that was kind of jarring was that I coughed like regularly throughout, especially the last one, um, throughout those podcasts. And each time I coughed, I as a listener kind of recoiled and got started to get nervous um, because we're not allowed to cough anymore. The world has changed. Um, And of course, I'm referring to the fact that we are understandably concerned about the coronavirus and its spread. But it's also incredible how this pandemic has also altered our consciousness and like our knee-jerk reactions to things. So when seeing a picture of a wedding that was pre-COVID and seeing people dancing around, you're like thinking to yourself, you know, they should really be a little bit further apart. Where are the masks? And it's incredible that in this amount of time, although a very intense amount of time, it's still incredible that our consciousness can be altered so dramatically that like our just instantaneous reaction to things is COVID-based. And that led me to think about the opportunity that lies in the coming part of the year, um, which is coming up to Purim, and right afterwards, very, very soon afterwards, is Pesach, and then we have Sphere Omer, and then we have Shavuos. It's like we're waking up from winter slumber into a race of Yom and Tovim. And, um, you know, really, in addition to the individual messages that we hope to flesh out regarding the individual Yom and Tovim, Purim, and then afterwards Pesach, I guess we're doing a Pesach podcast now. Well, now that you've advertised it. (laughs) (laughs) So there's the individual messages. There's also just the overall, you know, Torah, Mitzvah, Yom Tov consciousness that is supposed, that we're supposed to be um, adapting to as we enter into this this time of year. So there's the individual messages and there's the collective reality of being, having, of getting to be a from Torah Jew who is, uh, whose consciousness is altered by these uh, important days coming up. So that's just a general introduction. Now, as we did last year, we got a bunch of questions. We're going to read them and answer them. So let's get started. Okay. Um, when should we have the Purim Suda, and how does that work with Shabbos? No, that's tough. Whoa. <laughs> how do I balance getting ready for Shabbos on Purim Day with getting ready with, the, with fulfilling the mitzvos and um, enjoying the day? Um, I feel both Purim and Shabbos are going to lose out. Okay. So that was, that was a direct quote from one of the questions that we received. Um, okay, so uh, let me start with just a drop of halachic overview. It's actually a pretty complex halachic issue. Uh, Rabbi Pransky told me that he's going to be speaking about it on Purim night. So that's another point of advertising um, at the Purim night learning that 
is going to be advertised soon. So, um, yeah, on, on every Erev Shabbos, there's actually, this halacha exists. We only really pick it up at times like this, but on every Erev Shabbos, we are supposed to refrain from having extra food, extra meals that will inhibit our ability to enjoy the Shabbos meals, Shabbos food. We're supposed to not have an extra meal at all. That's not part of your regular routine. And in addition to that, we're also not supposed to have a meal later on in the day on Friday. Um, there are two reasons given for this. One, uh, rather obvious, and the most popular reason is we want to have a healthy appetite going into Shabbos. But there's another reason, uh, the Primigodim, quoted in the Berlacha, says that this is also to, to set aside Shabbos from other, from other days. Um, Shabbos should be special and different. And if we have a large meal during the weekday, it doesn't show uh, the, the difference and specialness. Is that a word? No. Oh, there we go. Of Shabbos doesn't come through. Um, it kind of reminds me that sometimes, um, you know, on Thursday night, I'll come in and there's the delicious smell of Shabbos challah. And I'm so tempted to get out some butter <laughs> and, and enjoy the fresh challah. And I personally uh, always, or almost always, decline because I want it to be special for the next night, for Friday night. Uh, not everyone has that challenge. So, yeah, there's the idea of making sure that Shabbos is special from other days, even when the thing you're talking about is a mitzvah, like a bris milah on a Friday, or, in this year, Purim on a Friday. So those are the two ideas. One is to make sure we have a healthy appetite. Coming into Shabbos, number two is to keep Shabbos special and separate. Um, okay, so the, the, the halacha is that um, one is, as I said before, not supposed to have an extra meal on a Friday ever. When it's a suddas mitzvah, so we're allowed to have a large meal, obviously it's a mitzvah, um, but it should be earlier in the day. I'm just laughing because my wife is yawning already. <laughs> and you are also. So we're going to keep going. Um, so the Ramah says that what does it mean earlier in the day? The Ramah in Hilchas Purim says it should be in the morning time before midday. If that's not possible, the meal should begin before the 10th hour of the day, a little before the, uh, the time for Mincha later in the day. Here, practically what that means is, as we published in our emails, uh, the meal should start before 12.50, that's the best time. If you can't do that, then you should start it before the halachic 10th hour of the day, which is about 3.50 p.m. There is a third option, which is not for this podcast, Poris Mapu Makadish, which is a way of, of synthesizing both the Purim meal and the Shabbos meal, which is a very exciting halachic option that I guess we're not going to talk about right now. Um, Okay, and this gives the, the just the general. Like to know how that works, you can contact Rabbi Fox Brenner directly. Yes, <laughs> um, so this gets us back to the the overall question of you know I feel like both Purim and Shabbos are going to lose out. How do I balance the two? Um, so what I'm trying to say, in addition to just giving the exact halachic pointers, is that halacha takes that into account. The Torah takes it into account. The Torah wants us to plan our schedule in such a way that we can. Take a short day, but cut it up in such a way that we can enjoy our Purim Suda earlier on in the day and leave some buffer time to get ready for Shabbos. That's how it's designed. Um, it's interesting. It's not entirely clear 
these times that I'm giving, you know, morning or afternoon, does that mean you have to just start the meal by then or end the meal? And in the words in the poskim, it's not entirely clear, but it seems like it should be governed by the reasoning, which is, you know, even if theoretically you can start your meal before 3.50, if you're going to end it uh, by, you know, at some, like 6 or 7, then you're not going to be hungry for, if you do it right, you're not going to be hungry for the, for the Shabbos meal. So exactly how to define the timing really should be dependent upon us and how our Purim is going to work, and how our Shabbos is going to work, and how we're going to be able to fit them both in. So it, there's no exact answer. I actually called a big post today out of town to, just to run through some of these issues, and he, 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 um, he commiserated with me that it's not entirely clear and reflected some of the same idea that the practical aspect of making sure we take advantage of both should govern our schedules. Okay, so that's the basic rundown. Um, and do you have anything to add? Um, okay, so I'd like to add two points. One is more hashkafic in terms of our outlook, and the other is a bit more practical in terms of how we get ready for Shabbos and how we manage. Um, I think I'll do the practical part first, which is that um, people are different and people manage differently. And in a few minutes, we'll talk about the positive, meaning how to make this day exciting, etc., for our children, despite unusual circumstances. But um, as we know, just like in other areas of our lives where we have the concept of stay away from bad and um, that it facilitates doing good, I think the same is true here. Um, we want to make sure that the, we don't allow what might be the stress of Erev Shabbos, like we said, to take away, like the question was asked, to take away from both. And um, I think that a lot of that is just consciousness of what does stress you out on Arab Shabbos. And um, like Rabbi Foxbrenner mentioned, um, taking those things into account when you're deciding when to schedule things and plan. So people are different. Some people like to have everything done and if they know that everything is done, then they can sit down and relax and have the Purim Suda and enjoy and give their children a feeling of being relaxed. And some people um, would prefer to have the suitor earlier in the day because they know that no matter what they do, they're not going to be ready before last minute. So let's just enjoy earlier and do something later. What we want to avoid is the phenomena that, that uh, a teacher of mine used to call the Shabbos witch, which is when your children associate the coming of Shabbos with mommy turning into you know, um, a green-faced monster with steam coming out of her ears. Um, like, we want this to be a special day for our children and a fun day for our children. And in order for it to be that, sometimes we want to go overboard and, have, and do everything. But if we don't do everything, and that facilitates us being more relaxed and us having a good time, our children will also have a good time and our children will also enjoy um, so I think it's just being sensitive to and cognizant of what does stress me out Arab Shabbos and trying to eliminate those things as much as possible. And there is enough leeway within the ideal times, as long as it fits in halakhically, to um, adjust your own schedule accordingly. Um, in terms of more of a you know, um, philosophical or um, Torah outlook, one of the things that I... 
um, kind of enjoy or is meaningful to me every time Purim falls out on Friday, which um, has happened quite a few times. I guess it happens more in Israel because I remember quite a few times that it happens in Israel while we were living there, is that it is natural because Yontif only falls, comes once a year for us to appreciate and plan for and um, recognize the special nature of Yontif. Whereas Shabbos comes every week and we can sometimes forget how special it is and take advantage. And um, our outlook on life is supposed to come from halacha. And it is clear from the halacha that Shabbos is not, you know, kind of interfering with Purim. <laughs> Shabbos is paramount and we plan for Shabbos and we adjust our Purim accordingly. So this might be the perfect opportunity for us to um, infuse ourselves with that attitude and through ourselves to our children as well, um, that Shabbos is special and we don't miss out on Shabbos just because Purim is today. And um, that is an amazing message to give your children um, because what you're saying is that um, Shabbos is not something we only look forward to as kind of like a break from the week or whatever it is. We look forward to Shabbos because there is something special and unique and wonderful and elevated about Shabbos that um, even when it comes to adjusting Purim, which is a beautiful and elevated yantif, we do that because Shabbos has its own uniqueness and its own elevation. Um, and why, you know, like though that there should be something special or different that is not just a continuation of Purim, but Shabbos is coming and we're excited to get ready for Shabbos. And that is not only kind of an obligation, but an opportunity because it reminds us that Shabbos, which we have the privilege of observing every week, is in actuality a privilege and an opportunity. Okay. Thank you, Mrs. Voxbrenner. <laughs> Edison. Um, next question. I'll, I'll read this one. Uh, we, we will be missing our friends. Um, how do we make it more exciting this year for our kids? even with a smaller crowd and without the usual communal events. Okay, there you go. I should start? Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, I think that it's important to remember that um, children are different and the things that they look forward to are different. So um, we want to make this day exciting and meaningful for our particular children. So, um, you know, we get this Circle magazine and my children happen to have opened it today to the first page, which is called the Lemonade Stand, where they ask a question and children from all over answer and they um, provide the answers and who answered, you know, how many children answered the same answer, et cetera, et cetera. And the question, I guess it was last week, two weeks ago, I don't know when it was, was what's your favorite thing about Purim or what do you look forward to most on Purim? And there were maybe 30, 35 answers, meaning there were so many different answers that children gave in terms of what they were looking forward to. And um, some of them were things that I never thought that a child would say, and I never would have been able to predict which was the most popular answer. Which is? And I don't remember. <laughs> Sorry. That was anticlimactic. <laughs> Actually, my children were joking about it, and they were like, everyone probably said getting shelf mottos or getting candy. And that actually was not a very, a very popular answer. Um, and, I, and in terms of making things exciting for our children, um, I think that we need to you know, speak that out with them and find out what are the things that they like and they're looking forward to. 
And in this way, the short day of Friday can actually play to our advantage because um, it's a short day and there are plenty of fun, exciting things to fill their day with. And if you have a conversation with your children about that beforehand and clarify with them, what are the things that you like to do on Perm that you don't want to miss out on this year? Meaning what are the things that you wanna make sure that we get in and then you plan the day accordingly? That has two advantages. One is you make sure that you actually get in what it is that they want to do. And the second advantage is, is that it totally alters their perspective because their perspective is not going to be what they're missing out on, meaning our suit is not as long and we don't have it with the same people, etc., etc. That's not going to be their attitude. Their attitude is going to be, well, we did do the two things, the, you know, the three things, whatever it was that were most important to me. And um, that makes the day exciting in and of itself. Right, so this gets us also to the point of communication ahead of time. So you who are still listening 17 minutes in, first of all, congratulations, thank you. Um, <laughs> but second of all, you're investing time into trying to make this program work and to make it meaningful. Um, and so the next step after listening to this would be to have a conversation with your spouse, with your children, and uh, discuss what parts of the day do we want, what do we want to do, what are your favorite parts and how are we going to schedule them in? Having the conversation also helps manage their expectations uh, because just because we have this on our minds and we understand it's COVID and Friday and it's going to be all different doesn't mean our children understand that uh, to the same degree. It reminds me like when we were on the Purim crawl on Sunday mm-hmm. and we like I've been thinking about this and I know about it and working on it for weeks now. So for me, or also we, we talked about it, so we had an idea of what it was, but our kids had no clue. <laughs> they were just getting in the car on a Sunday, talk, going on this thing called the program crawl that's supposed to be fun. And there were just infinite amounts of questions of, you know, what do we do now? And, and, and how, does this, uh, how does the whole raffle thing work? And where are the prizes? And just question after question after question. And I realized, and I stopped and I said, okay, everyone stop. Let me tell you exactly what it is that we're doing. This is the forum crawl, and these are the objectives, and this is the schedule that we're going to go in. And then the question stopped. And they, instead of, you know, with the questions, they actually got to enjoy it. So, you know, just because you know it's coming up doesn't mean your family knows, and it's good to talk it out. Right. I, yeah, I think that that's true um, with regard to, let's just give a specific example, even though I think this really could apply to everything. The Suda, for example. It's wonderful to have a pseudo with lots of friends that's, you know, exciting and lebedic, etc. Um, but there are, you know, disadvantages as well. On a regular year, everyone is kind of nervous about, oh, wow, the pseudo is always, you know, crazy and my kids are breaking down, etc., etc. So we have the ability to be able to focus on the things that we can do this year or that, you know, Okay, so they, you know maybe ideally we would go back to a regular program schedule, but um, there are advantages to doing things just with your family, or there are advantages to mixing up the schedule a little bit. And it's one year and it's a short day, and if we focus on those advantages, um, I think that they will really present themselves as opportunities. Okay, so just remembering there was a teacher who emailed us um, referencing that this is an unusual, this is a different year. Um, and we've spoken in the past um, about the importance of sh- taking the opportunity to give Mishloch Manos um, strategically, meaning you don't necessarily just give to your friends, you give to those people who you don't have as much to do with, 
That's one type of strategic mishloach manos. Another type is giving to people who you want to show respect and akaras hatov to, including, um, and a very paramount in that category are our children's teachers. So we've talked about that in the past, and it was interesting to receive an email from a teacher who said, can you somehow get the message across that especially this year with COVID and everything, um, you know, we, we would love to people to come by, but just let's do smaller mishloach manos, something very simple. Or I think she wrote something of like, take a pass on the whole mishloach manos option and just come and say hello. Um, so that's like a little bit different than we've talked about in years past, but it also speaks to a very important um, uh, part of the day, which is just, you know, coming by and saying happy Purim is also, is also very special. Um, and, uh, and also, uh, especially this year, I think people are expecting less and therefore we can take advantage more. Right. And I, I think that the flip side of that is that you can express the same values and teach your children the same messages under different circumstances. So even though we're used to operating on Purim and doing things in a certain way, if you take a moment to think, you know, to, to step back and say, well, you know, why are those things meaningful? Sometimes that same meaning can be brought out in a different way. So um, that's a great example of that. Okay, so let's wrap this up with one final question. Uh, there, was, there was a woman who asked, what is the main chinuch message? We want to be giving, uh, giving over this particular part. Okay, so I um, couldn't choose one, so I'm going to go with two. Uh, but I think the thing that unites both of them is that they're very simple messages that um, are very easy to bring up throughout the day. And also that um, what unites the two is that, um, you know, Yom Tovim and their messages apply to every situation that any human being could possibly be in. Um, and especially Purim, which is to a certain extent the most applicable to all Yom Tovim or all Jewish holidays, because it happened while we were in, while we were in exile in a manner of Hashem hiding himself behind nature, which is where we find ourselves today. And um, those, um, the messages, these two messages, I think are um, regular, run-of-the-mill, kind of popular per messages, but that I think apply particularly um, to this year. Um, so um, probably the most obvious part of message and um, the maybe the simplest, but I don't mean simple in that it is not deep, just simple and that it's obvious and easy to understand is that Hashem's presence is always there and his intervention in our lives is constant um, in our particular lives and also in world events, even when there are not open miracles like there were um, in the events that we commemorate on all the other Yom Tovim, on all the other Jewish holidays. And that message is, seems to me, like there could not be any more appropriate kind of corona message, that we are not in control, and as much as we have learned and advanced and know as a human species, that there is a world and world events that far surpass our power and influence. And that Hashem's intervention in the world is done through nature, and there are no open miracles in the world that we live. But everything, the disease itself, the vaccine, canceled appointments, etc. And even not just the um, obvious, you know, the big things like the disease itself, but the effects that it has in our particular lives. All of these things are from Hashem. 
And this is a point that is the same message as the Purim, Purim, you know, the Purim message and can be brought through with anything throughout the day and the week leading up to Purim. Anything that doesn't seem to have gone right throughout the day, where it's Mordechai and Esther all over again. It's a simple message, but, our, but it's a message that our children need to hear and that we need to hear and to internalize and really is the basic message of Purim. And um, this is a message that we need and a message that is very easy to bring up. Um, the, other, the other message that to me is extremely important always and this year is kind of like an old favorite of mine, which is, you know, um, why is it that we wear costumes on Purim? And um, there are many who bring down that Hashem is hidden within the world around us and so too we, we hide ourselves. And um, the deeper meaning of this is that we should recognize that just as Hashem is hidden, so are people. Meaning on, on Purim, it's obvious that people are hidden because they wear masks. But what that's supposed to reveal to us... Don't we always wear masks? That's the point! <laughs> that what that reveals to us is that we are always hidden. Meaning there's always something that's covering up who we really are inside. And... During the year, we fool ourselves into thinking that we really know each other, that we know each other's circumstances, each other's challenges, strengths, and weaknesses. But on Purim, we're not tempted to judge people by their externals because we know it's only external. And really, every Jew has challenges and victories and weaknesses and strengths that nobody knows about. And there is so much that is hidden circumstances that you don't know about, and an neshama that is pure and that yearns to do only good and to be better and to just do that what, what is right. And we live in a world that has fallen into a habit of constant judgment and recriminations. And the idea that we don't really know what's going on with somebody else and what's hidden inside is always a pure person with a pure neshama that idea is something that I think that we need now seems to me more than ever. And um, this is a wonderful day to remind ourselves of that concept and our children, that every Jew is precious and that hidden within them is a precious neshama. And when we see something that we don't understand, very often it's just that, something that we don't understand. And, um, you know, that's kind of going to be the most obvious. We're not going to have communal events. So costumes, etc., are going to be the most obvious thing that's going on around us. We're going to see people constantly dressed up. And that's um, an idea that you can make age appropriate according to everybody's ages. Obviously, it's a little more sophisticated and advanced for teenagers, etc. But even for a small child to be able to say, that there's always more than what we see. And Perm is the perfect day to give that message over to our children. And especially this year, I think it is really uniquely appropriate. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Uh, and tune into the other podcasts that go through other parts of the day. And we look forward to um, hopefully seeing you at some point. Happy Purim.